0: Well, good morning. It is great to be with you. It's great to be together. Uh, as Marty just said, I'm, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors and I'm so glad uh, you've chosen to be with us this morning. Uh, I missed us gathering in person last week and hope everybody was able to enjoy the snow of last week and the snow of this past weekend. Uh, I know uh, my family enjoyed being out in it yesterday. and uh, I'm glad we're able to join together in this 1045 a.m. service and for all of you who are online, I'm, I'm really glad you're joining us as well. Uh, this is uh, the third week of a sermon series that we started in the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, and we've titled uh, this series Power in Weakness. And this morning we're picking back up in chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at a passage where Paul is exhorting the Corinthian church to forgive. There's someone in the church here in Corinth who has sinned and and they were placed under church discipline and then they repented of their sin, they asked for forgiveness, but there was one major problem. The Corinthians had not forgiven him and had no desire to do so. And this disinclination to forgive, the tendency to turn away from those who have caused pain, the propensity toward resentment and harboring hurt was about to shipwreck the Corinthian church there was a failure to forgive. Forgiveness is hard, isn't it? It's very hard. It's easy to say that we need it. It's somewhat easy for me to speak about it. But to truly practice extending it at times feels impossible. I was reading an article this past week on forgiveness and it mentioned the October 2006 shooting When a gunman took hostages in a one-room Amish schoolhouse at Nickel Pines, Pennsylvania. He shot 10 children, ages 7 to 13, five of whom died, and then he committed suicide. And within hours of this, the, the Amish community visited both the killer's immediate family and his parents, each time expressing sympathy for their loss. The Amish uniformly expressed forgiveness of the murderer and his family. And the forgiveness and love shown toward the shooter and his family amazed many, numerous voices called Americans to emulate the Amish and to become more forgiving. Well, four years later in 2010, a group of scholars wrote about this incident. And one of the main conclusions was that our secular culture is not likely to produce people who can handle suffering the way the Amish did. They argued that the Amish ability to forgive was because at the heart of their faith, was a man dying for his enemies. And through communal practices, this self-sacrificing was seen, sung, believed, rehearsed, and celebrated constantly. For Jesus to give his life and to forgive his tormentors was an act of enormous love and spiritual strength. The Amish saw forgiveness as the greatest gift in virtue. For the Amish, the gospel displayed its power through forgiveness. But in our culture today, anger wins the day. Today we are shaped by news and social media that teaches us that whoever can be the angriest and the loudest and get others to become angry with them will be the ones who hold the power. Just read the news, get on social media. These are outlets forming us all and teaching us that there is no high like the high you get from punishing those you deem wrong. Alan Jacobs wrote this that the great moral crisis of our time is not, as many of my fellow Christians believe, sexual licentiousness, but rather vindictiveness. Vindictiveness rules the day. Anger and punishment freely being given, forgiveness is viewed as weakness. For the Christian church, who lives countercultural, forgiveness is to be freely given, forgiveness is the power of God. And yet even for us, a community where Christ is at the center, it is still so hard to practice. There is still a failure to forgive just like the Corinthian church. And so we're gonna read 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses five through 11 and see what Paul says about this. I'm gonna ask you if you're able to go ahead and stand as we do weekly to give attention to the word of God. This is God's word to us this morning. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he's caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything." Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Isaiah tells us the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. Lord God, I ask that you would come and pour out your mercy and your grace upon us. Would we see how high and wide and deep is the love of Christ that abounds to us who need forgiveness? And would it compel us to be those who are forgiven, offering forgiveness? Would you transform us in this time? Would you speak and illumine our minds or transform our hearts so that we might be changed and leave differently? I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. A pastor friend of mine tells the story about a man who was bitten by a dog which was later discovered to be rabid. And This man was rushed to the hospital where tests revealed that he had in fact contracted rabies. Well, At the time, there was no medical solution for the problem and his doctor confronted him with the news that his condition was incurable and terminal. And the doctor said, sir, we're going to do all we can to make you comfortable, but I cannot give you false hope. There's nothing we can really do. My best advice is that you put your affairs in order as soon as possible. And the dying man sank back on his bed in shock and finally rallied enough strength to ask for a pen and paper. And then he set to work with great, energy. And an hour later, the doctor returned and the man was still riding vigorously. And the doctor said, I'm so glad to see that you're working on your will. And the man said, this ain't no will, doc. This is a list of people I'm going to bite before I die. (laughs) And if we're honest, all of us have a list of people in our minds and our hearts who we've, who have wronged us or mistreated us, people who have hurt us in some way, people that when we think about them, resentment and bitterness wells up in our hearts. And it's very natural for us to want to get back at him or to get back at her. Forgiveness is not natural. But it is what lies at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is so central to Christianity that I would say that a lack of forgiveness puts the church at stake. And it puts the very gospel we profess at stake. It puts our witness to the world at stake. Paul is exhorting the Corinthians to forgive. And so I want us to look at three things this morning. I want us to look at the power of unforgiveness. I want us to look at the power to extend forgiveness. And lastly, the power of forgiveness. So, The power of unforgiveness, the power to extend forgiveness, and lastly, the power of forgiveness. So let's look first at the power of unforgiveness. Paul says in verse five, now if anyone has caused pain, he's caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. All right, so there's a person who has sinned against someone. Maybe they sinned against Paul. Maybe it was against somebody else in Corinth. And Paul is saying the pain inflicted is not just to the one sinned against, but the pain inflicted is upon all of you. And then Paul turns to the excessive sorrow of this person who's not being welcomed back into the community, who's not being forgiven, who is now the one being wronged. And what Paul is doing is reminding them of what he's already taught them in his first letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, that if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Paul is reminding them that the church is a place where community life is bound up together so that what happens to one person affects all persons. One of my greatest joys as a dad of three boys, who I jokingly refer to as the Brothers Mason, is when I get to see a glimpse of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus shine through them. And my oldest has always been a picture of what I'm talking about this morning, that when one suffers, all suffer. His heart is so big That when one of his brothers is sad, he genuinely gets sad. That when one of his brothers gets happy, he gets happy. He he doesn't do this perfectly. They're brothers. They fight, right? That's what they do. But the Brothers Mason are are a great picture to me of what the church is to be. A community where life is bound up in one another. The church is not a gathering of autonomous individuals who get together for personal self-fulfillment but rather a gathering of brothers and sisters with radical interconnectedness who get together for for self-sacrificing for the sake of one another. And unforgiveness is powerful because it divides the family of God. It divides the body of Christ. And did you catch where this power comes from? Verse 11, Paul says, forgive so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. He wants to destroy And divide the body of Christ. We're not ignorant of his designs, Paul says. Satan's design and scheme is to still kill and destroy the body of Christ. He wants the church to be shipwrecked. And one of his great ploys is to dupe the unforgiving heart. Do you see how the church is at stake in regards to forgiveness? Let me ask you, how do you withhold forgiveness? Anne Lamott famously said, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. The poison of unforgiveness, it it can play itself out differently in people's lives. I think we can be one of two types of people in terms of unforgiveness. The first is a someone who who buries. You're a barrier. You bury, you, you ignore the hurt and the pain. You excuse it, deny it. You might say things like, it's not that big of a deal. Or I was mad, but now I'm over it. But the the reality is you're far from over it. You still think about it. You replay that scenario in your mind or that relationship in your mind, and instead of forgiving, you bury and withhold forgiveness and it destroys. The second person is a venter. Not just a barrier, but a venter. This is someone who has to get the hurt and the pain out, regardless of who, where, and when it comes out. And I think there are two types of venters. The first type of venter is the expressive venter. This is someone who is a ticking time bomb waiting to go off on someone, and and the poor person they go off on is left wondering where in the world did that come from? The person expressively lets it out. The second type of venter is the passive-aggressive venter. This is someone that's not a bomb ready to go off, but they're more like a silent sniper that just picks people off with snide comments, cutting phrases, or slander. And all of this flows out of a heart that's not dealt with pain and hurt, a heart that has not extended forgiveness. If we do not engage with forgiveness, it will be like a poison that affects our relationships. It will be a power at work through the scheming of a real enemy who seeks to divide and destroy the church, which is to be a community bound up in life together. It's the power of unforgiveness. Let's look secondly at the power to extend forgiveness. Look at verse 10. Paul says, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. The power to forgive comes from the presence of Christ. And there are two things that ring true when we are in the presence of Christ. The first is a realization that we are far more sinful than we've ever imagined. In the presence of Christ, our lives are held up against the spotless, perfect Son of God. And when this happens, God reveals just how deep our sin runs. It's why we have confession of sin every Sunday. It's why confession plays such a vital part in our relationship with God, because we all fall short. And our sin is revealed in the things done and undone, the things we've said, the things we've left unsaid, the, the sins we've knowingly committed and the sins we haven't known that we've committed. In the presence of Jesus, our sin is revealed. The second thing that rings true in the presence of Christ is a realization that we are far more loved than we've ever dreamed. In the presence of Jesus, we are assured that God's love covers our sin, that Jesus lived, died, rose so that we could be forgiven. In the presence of Christ, Jesus does not tell us that our sins don't really matter. He doesn't bury, nor does he blow up on us in anger and vindication, nor is he passive-aggressive. In the presence of Christ, we are reminded that Jesus sacrificed his life on a cross so that we could be forgiven, Jesus took the justice of God, bore the wrath of our sin. What we deserved, he took, and what we didn't deserve, we received. In the presence of Christ, we receive grace upon grace upon grace. Limitless grace. Now listen, forgiveness does not set justice aside. If someone sins against another, there is a debt owed. There is a wrong that must be made right, but as Christians, Instead of taking justice into our hands, we allow God to enact justice. And so we rejoice that God poured out his justice on Jesus so that we could receive grace and so that others could receive grace. It's in the presence of Jesus, in the gaze of Christ, that we hear Jesus say what he cried out from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It is in Christ that we have the perfect, limitless love of God for us, the unlovable. It is in Christ that we have the love of God for us, the unforgiving. And the power to extend forgiveness comes from being in the presence of Christ and experiencing this grace and love towards us. The Bible is pretty clear that there's a correlation between understanding and experiencing our own forgiveness with the power to extend forgiveness. Evan mentioned earlier, Jesus in Luke seven says, there's the one who's forgiven much, loves much. The one who's forgiven little loves little. Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's a correlation. And so let me ask you this. As you think about your list of people that you would not mind biting, that you want to get revenge on, how do you envision them? when you place them in the presence of God? Can you place them in the presence of God? Do you see them as a human being? Because only when you see somebody as a human being, only when you embrace their humanity will you forgive them. This person has a story, pains and hurts in their own lives, they've been sinned against, and yet they're still a sinner just like you and me. Can you name that person as you pray in the presence of God? Can you envision them in the presence of God as a real human being? And as you place them in the presence of God, how do you compare yourself against them? I think we often think we're better than they are. When we compare, we think we're better. And here's my point. We do not extend forgiveness because we make too little of our own sins. You cannot stay bitter towards someone if you see the depth of your sin, you only stay bitter toward someone if you feel superior to them, if you feel like you would never do anything like they did. As a young man, John Wesley was a missionary in Georgia where he had a difficult time with a colony's founder, a very proud General Oglethorpe. And during the course of their conversation, the general made this statement, I never forgive. And John Wesley replied then, I hope, sir, you never sinned. The power to forgive comes from realizing that our sin runs just as deep as the one who sinned against us. And so as you think about the person or two or three who's on your list, and you put them in the presence of God, do you really believe that you're right there beside them in the depth of your own sin? The degree that we extend forgiveness is the degree that we have been forgiven. Do you see how the very gospel we profess as Christians is at stake in regards to forgiveness? It is under the gaze of Jesus, in his presence, in the face of Christ, that we understand the depth of our sin and the greater depth of his love and his grace. Let's look last at the power of forgiveness. Not just the power to extend it, but the power of it. Verse 7, Paul says, you should rather turn to forgive. And now this word forgive, in the Greek, it means to freely give. To freely give. As the community of the forgiven, we are to be the community who freely gives forgiveness. And as I said at the beginning, this is very countercultural to the moment we're living in, where anger and vindictiveness win the day. But Christians and the church, we've always been an alternative society to the world in which we live. At the early church, it was distinctive for many reasons. It's sexual ethic, it's love of the poor and the marginalized, and these are still marks of distinctiveness for the church today. But I'm growing more and more confident that the greatest sign of being an alternative society today in North America is seen in our freely giving of forgiveness. Forgiveness. That perhaps the best evangelism we can do in our culture is to freely offer forgiveness, to model forgiveness. Verse 9, to be obedient in our forgiveness. In a culture that is quick to cancel, quick to vindicate, the church is to be a community of brothers and sisters who offer the hope of the gospel to the world in which we live as we embody forgiveness. The church is to be a city on a hill, a community offering hope in this world. In a world, at least in our society, that is growing more divided, more vitriolic, more vindictive, our church is to hold out the hope of the gospel by the way in which we forgive. The late Archbishop Desmond Tutu, growing up as a black South African in apartheid South Africa, insisted that without forgiveness there is no future. And he rejected the Nuremberg Trials model of dealing with war crimes and instead made the case for his Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa, which offered amnesty and forgiveness for any perpetrators of violence who would come forward and publicly confess the full truth of what they had done. Tutu argued that the alternative to forgiveness in South Africa would have been a major cycle of violence. The church in South Africa with Christ at the center held out hope in the world by receiving and extending forgiveness. And may the Lord allow this to be our witness, Christ Central, here in Durham and around the world. Do you see how our witness to the world is at stake in regards to forgiveness? Forgiveness. We can talk about it. I can try to preach on it. We can nod in a sermon together about it, but to practice it in our lives still feels impossible at times. So let me end by telling you a story that drops home the reality of how hard it is to practice forgiveness, but also a story about how we can be empowered to extend it. It's a story of Corey Ten Boom. Some of you know who Corey Ten Boom is. She was a Christian writer and public speaker. She worked with her father and her sister Betsy and other family members to help Many Jewish people escaped the Nazis during the Holocaust and World War II. They hid them in their home. And her most famous book is titled The Hiding Place. She writes about this experience in her life after the war ended. And she recalled a post-war meeting with a guard from the Ravensbrück concentration camp where her sister Betsy had died and where she herself had been subjected to horrible indignities. Listen to what Corrie Ten Boom wrote. It was a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first actual jailer that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming, and bowing. And he said, how grateful I am for your message, Frulein. And he said, to think that as you say, he." washed away my sins and his hand was thrust out to shake mine and I who had preached often to the people in Blumenthal, the need to forgive kept my hand at my side even as angry vengeful thoughts boiled through me I saw the sin of them Jesus Christ had died for this man was I going to ask for more Lord Jesus I prayed forgive me and help me to forgive him I tried to smile I struggled to raise my hand I could not I felt nothing Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. Brothers and sisters, Will you be someone who lives life through the the lens of what people have done to you? If so, you'll never forgive. And it will be a poison that leads to destruction. Or will you be someone who lives life through the lens of what Jesus has done for you? If so, you'll be able to extend the same grace and forgiveness that he extends to you. Let's pray. Lord, I, I ask... You would break our hearts so that we would see the depth of our sin and that we would see those who have sinned against us and those that have hurt us alongside of us at the foot of the cross. And that we would receive the forgiveness that is ours and we would hear Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do being spoken over the one who sinned against us. May we be able to extend that forgiveness. May we be reconciled as a body, as brothers and sisters, life-bound together. Would you protect us from the scheming and design of a real enemy? And may we offer hope in this world, in Durham and beyond, that we would be a family of God, people who love one another across differences and even conflicts and hurts and pains, that we would model the gospel through the way in which we love and forgive one another and that people would come to know Christ because Christ is very real and very present among us. So in Jesus' name I pray, amen.